0: You're listening to the A.I.D. Network. Hey, friends, it's Wednesday. You know what that means? It's time to head out to Disneyland together. And what we're doing today is something a little bit different. You and me and a couple of our new friends, we're going to sit on a bench in the middle of Main Street. And uh, I'm going to let you folks ask me any question that you want. I recorded this live over on YouTube and Twitch, and the Disneyland for Designers community that celebrates Disneyland over there with me, they were able to chime in and ask me questions in real time, and this is that recording. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to thank everyone who showed up for a minute or all 18 hours last Friday. When I did the epic live stream of recreating 18 hours of Disneyland, not only did it feel real because we Walked around the park and got on the different attractions. And we adhered to the Disneyland schedule. But what made it feel so real to me was hanging out with each and every one of you. A real community, real friends, real funny moments, real emotional moments. We celebrated it and treated it just like it was a real day. And I don't have to tell you, if you did all 18 hours, it felt like a real day at Disneyland. The magic hangover was so, so real. So thank you everyone who showed up over on YouTube and Twitch to take that epic 18-hour lap around Disneyland with me. And today's show, I mentioned if there'll be any more of that to come in the future. What do you say we get started with today's episode right after this message from our sponsor? Hey, Disney fans, do you have a Disney fan brand? Do you like to show your, your fandom by making limited edition merchandise for you and all of your friends? Or do you like to design a shirt for the family to wear to go out to the park. Did you know that you can do all this and save money and get free shipping by listening to this show? Head over to our sponsor, jackprince.com where you can get site-wide discounts by going to jackprince.com slash C-O-T. That stands for circle of trust. And Jack Prince has been a supporter of adventures in design, the AID network and the circle of trust since the very beginning. And they pass that sponsorship over to you by giving you a discount site-wide. So whatever you're making for your fan brand, head over to jackprince.com slash C-O-T, save some money, get some free shipping, and who knows, maybe you'll discover a product to let you share your fandom with all your friends and fans. One more quick thing before we get started today. If you're feeling a little down and out, if you're feeling a little bit weird and you want a little bit of a Disneyland pick-me-up, if you're feeling kind of bummed that you have no park, if 2020 is starting to get you down and you'd be crazy if it wasn't, I made a little video over on YouTube. It's called The Story of Mickey Mouse Park slash I Love You Like Disneyland. It's a quick little look at how Mickey Mouse Park never got built in Burbank. But it's a great metaphor for these times that we're living in and how you can kind of get your mind right to think about how this year and all of this weirdness could be one of the best chapters ever written in your life. So if you're feeling down and out and you need a little pick-me-up, Head over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash adventures in design, and just look for the video, the story of Mickey Mouse Park. I love you like Disneyland. I hope that it cheers you up, brings you a little happiness, and offers you a little bit of Disneyland perspective. And hey, while you're there, if you would like the video, leave a comment, or subscribe to the channel, anything you could do over there to help me build the channel so more folks can find what we're doing over here in the Disneyland for Designers community, I would greatly appreciate that and I would think of it as nothing less than a favor that you did for me. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth and all of its history, its secrets and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. One of the greatest things about going to Disneyland that often gets overlooked is waiting in line. Now I know we all love the attractions, I know we love when the fireworks go off, we love when we see Mickey out on Times Solar Island and then we know that Fantasmic has began, but the waiting is such a crucial part of the Disney experience, because we typically only go to Disneyland with best friends, people that are from far away, and those that we absolutely love the most. Disneyland brings us together, not only as a community, but with the people that we go to Disneyland with. So when you spend 18 hours out at the park, all of the waiting becomes some of the most crucial conversations. It's a perfect time to catch up, tell stories, remember old times, talk about plans for the future. I often find that when you go there with people that you truly care about, a 55 minute wait for Radiator Springs feels like 15 minutes, cause you're lost in conversation with all the people that are special enough for you to decide they're worthy of a day at Disneyland. So today's episode is just that. It's you and I hanging out in Disney, just talking, talking it up, talking about whatever comes our way, whatever we want to talk about, how much we love and celebrate Disneyland together. It's Disneyland for Designers, episode 29, Ask Mark Anything. Hey, that's me. Favorite bench to sit on in the park comes from our friend M. Elka over in Twitch. Or, and I would say, let's think about this. If you had to pick a bench to sit on in all of Disneyland, what bench would you pick to sit in? Well, the dream bench would be to sit in Walt's bench inside of the opera house where legend has it. He sat there watching his daughter's daughters go around the merry-go-round, eating peanuts, thinking there's got to be a better way to do it. There's got to be a better way. But since I'm not allowed to sit on that bench and no one is, would I pick King Arthur's carousel? Would I pick the bench in the park that could make you dizzy because you'll be spinning around in circles and circles? No. I'm going to pick best bench to sit on. I'm going to say the hub. If I can get a bench in the hub and I can watch people go around, I love to sit there. I love the music they play in the hub. I love the cross traffic of people coming and going. And I also like sitting on the benches at the Main Street train station. If they're open, if they're not roped off for VIP guests to see fireworks or daytime shows, you really get that good bird's eye view And you can watch people coming and going from the left and right gate. And you can just see the kinetic energy of the little town of Disneyland alive and breathing and moving about. And I'm going to say Hub or Main Street USA uh, at the train station. Those are the best two benches for my money to sit on. My friend Neil asked me, Disneyland churro versus beignets. Who wins? Well, that's a very easy one for me because I'm just not a churro guy. I've, I've tried them. I, I like the fun of them. I love that you love churros, but churros are just not for me. It's, I don't like the, the crunchiness of it. I'm a pastries guy. I'm a guy who loves to eat a piece of cake. And in fact, my family knows how much I love birthday cake. So whenever there's a birthday, obviously whoever's birthday it is, they get the first slice but then that next slice, whichever aunt or cousin slice up the pizza, like, Mark, we got a slice for you. Because they know I live, live for birthday cake. So a beignet on the dessert scale skews way closer to pastry than churro does. Now, if you're asking me what my favorite beignets are, and you didn't, but I got a lot of time to fill, so I'm gonna give you the answer anyways. The standard basic beignet is great, but the two that have blown my little beignet heart away was I absolutely love the peppermint beignets for the holiday season. The peppermint beignet for the holiday season is one of my favorite Disneyland Christmas traditions. That beautiful pink candy cane peppermint taste. Oh, so good. But there was a limited a dish two Halloweens ago which was a orange cream sickle beignet. That orange sickle beignet was by far the best one that i had ever had. And what made it real, real good was it had a little crunch to it, and they put a little candy on it that was Mickey shaped. Mickey shape, a Mickey shape. Excellent, excellent beignet. Thank you so much for asking me on my on my beignet debate. Scary Gary says, the old Disneyland porch, is that considered a bench? I don't think so. I'm going to put the bench over on Main Street. I categorize that in front of the old ladies' intimate apparel shop. I really credit that as a quiet spot. Now, if you want to get into quiet spots, that's where I excel. Most people could tell you everything about all the cool attractions. Not me. I'm more... Of a quiet spot, sky, and technically, well, there is a bench on the the stoop, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go. That's a different kind of location. Living life said before going to Disneyland as an adult and truly falling in love. Was it something you were really looking forward to doing, or was it something that you didn't really care if it happened? So I only ever got to go to to Disney World. When I was real, real young with my mom. And that is a very complicated and sort of heartbreaking story. Me and my mom have a very, very troubled relationship. So my mom tried to do her best and take me there when I was really young. It was my mom, my babysitter, and my babysitter's son, Tony, who was much older than me. And so I went there as a child. And that was... I have a couple of very vague memories, but it was also a very difficult time in my life. So I wouldn't go again until I was a young adult in my 20s. And me and some friends on the spur of the moment decided to go to Florida for spring break. It was a Sunday night. We were watching MTV's 120 Minutes, which is where you would see all the new alternative music videos. And when 120 was over, they started showing MTV spring break. So we decided we've never really celebrated spring break before. We're guys that have grown up in bands. We're straight edge guys. We're not really fraternity bros or anything like that. So we just decided let's go to spring break. And we did it on the spur of the moment. So we got in my friends, Jeep Wrangler, three of us called various people like, yo, can you let out my dogs for the next three days? Can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And we just basically made a very impromptu trip down to Florida. And so we drove all through the night from being in Kentucky. And when we got to Florida, there was no spring break. There was no spring break at all. It had been pre-recorded spring break. So therefore, it was a total bust of a trip. And on a spur of the moment thing, we drove from Daytona over to Orlando Stayed with some friends that we knew there. And the next day, everybody's was like, what are we going to do? And then we'd had breakfast. It was around noon. And I just said, why don't we just go to Disney World? That would be awesome. And I went to Disney World with a group of friends as a young adult. And I absolutely adored it. I loved being there. It was so amazing. I had such a great time. Um, and it really, really just took to me. And so a couple years later i would go there with uh with a girl that i was dating uh, that i was pretty serious with and and that was amazing as well so then fast forwarding two decades later i was in california me and my wife came out here to do a series of craft fairs we had started our our 10-day epic california vacation in san francisco Did vending in San Francisco, drove all the way down the coast, and we ended up in uh, Southern California. And once again, I found myself in a moment in my life where I had a day off in the Los Angeles area. And it was the Friday before our, our, our big craft fair. And our friends go, what do you want to do today? I go, would you mind taking me to Disneyland? Like, I'm sure it's nothing like Disney World, but it'd be really cool to see it. And so we went to Disneyland did an all-day rip, stayed till close, saw World of Color for the first time. I just left knowing that I had fallen in love with it, like literally fallen in love with it. I loved it so much, and I just thought that it was such an amazing, amazing thing. Um, And that just got me curious about uh, what it was, how it worked. Fast forward, three years later, we would end up moving out here and living here, and every time we would come out to like, double-check that we want to live here, come out to find a place. Like, every time we came to California, we always did a, a, a set day at Disneyland. And when we officially moved here, we found our home, the home that I'm living in. We found it pretty quick. We had time left on our trip, and I said, let's go to Disneyland and get our passes. Because my thought process was, as a Disneyland pass, for the both of us at the time, it was like under $100 a month, we could go eat one meal in our neighborhood and spend over a hundred dollars. Or we could have an entire month of Disneyland for the same price and be able to go to Disneyland whenever we want, rip the park, do laps, sit on a bench, ride something if we wanted to, and also when people would come in from out of town to to stay with us, they would buy tickets to Disneyland it would cost them more money than us and it was kind of a way to like kind of keep our vacation stays uh with people visiting us you know kind of in budget they would spend a lot of money going out to Disneyland for the day so therefore the next day they wouldn't want to spend that much money and when you have a lot of people visiting you on vacation you kind of have to figure out how to make it all work so that's a very very long story to get to the moment where i wasn't totally aware of Disney parks like, I wasn't an aficionado. I wasn't dreaming of them. I just knew that they were magical, and I knew they represented, like, the best in experiences, the best in design, and I, I I loved them, but it wasn't something I did on the regular. But moving to Southern California, I had this just complete appreciation for Disneyland, all that it stood for, and that's where the obsession just started to grow. And so moving out here from upstate New York southern california is tremendously more expensive and what i started to do when i'd be stressed going to bed at night worrying about you know we just sold our home we just bet everything on moving to california will this work for us and so one of the things i would do at night just to sort of get out of my brain is i would read the dateline disneyland articles over on mice chat but those only came out once a week. There wasn't all this YouTube content back then. And every Monday I would read their their article, Dateline Disneyland, like it was the Holy Bible. I mean, I would just go paragraph by paragraph, look at all the photos, imagine myself walking around the park and, and, and going to all these things. I had a notes list on my phone of things that I wanted to check out when I went that week because I just read about it. And so then when I started to run out of those articles, I... Started going down the trail of trying to teach myself the history of Disneyland. I had found websites like yesterland.com through, through Mice Chat. But then I started to realize that the real deep dive was Wikipedia. And I could go Wikipedia entry to Wikipedia entry and literally just click on one thing like Fantasyland and just open up all the other sub links. And so I would read about things. I would make a list of things I wanted to discover and explore, and I just went on this quest of going to the park about once a week and just discovering all the history at once. And I have to tell you, it was one of the greatest creative deep dives that I've ever taken, and I absolutely just, I adored it. And um, to still be able to do that today is just uh, an amazing experience that, that I don't take lightly. It looks like the next question I have is from over in YouTube. My dream job at Disneyland. My dream job at Disneyland. I mean, I think I might, I don't know if I would want Philander's job of being a tour guide. Because even though it sounds fun to literally have your job be a part of sharing Disney with people and showing it to them over and over again. I'm sure you get some weird personality clashes. I mean, you're dealing with a very um, upper echelon citizen that has a certain amount of income, and with a certain amount of income you will find people that are very grateful to be that blessed, but you'll also find people that are very um, entitled. So, as fun as being a VIP tour guide sounds, it could also, I would be worried, sometimes ruin the fun because you don't feel like the people that you're around maybe fully appreciate you. Or are actually, you know, in it to win it like you are. And that nobody's told me that. That's just my own assumption. So if I were to take that off the table, I think that I would really enjoy working at a kiosk in the park. And literally just telling normal people, not VIPs, but just normal people that want to walk up to me and go... Hey, I'm trying to figure out how to get to Peter Pan. I think if there was a way where I could just work at one of those kiosks and just give people information about Disneyland, tell them where to go, how to get there, and you know, maybe give them some pro tips. Like, you know, you could go over to Peter Pan right now, but we're getting ready to have our fireworks and we have to close Fantasyland. If you go back over there at say 10 o'clock, you probably have a better chance of not having to wait in line that long. Like if I could do that, that would be amazing. If you think that's a cop out of a job. I would maybe like to be one of the people that is the like production manager for one of the parades where you walk with that iPad and you have the earpiece in and you're just basically like the brain for the parade. You're just making sure that the parade or the flag ceremony or the fireworks, like you're just, you're running the production. And I, I have that in my background of, of growing up on bands and being on tour. So I'd either like to be a part of a show, but I would really love to just give people information and just kind of give normal people like a tip on which way to turn, where to go, and how to make the most out of their their Disneyland day. It was just said over in the Twitch chat, unofficial info guy on the bench. I mean, if they'll let me do it, I'll do it. Going back over to Twitch, someone says, As a designer that didn't grow up going to Disneyland and having found your own style elsewhere... And revisiting as an adult, did Disneyland influence and inspire your graphic style in any way, Fifi Mae? That's a great question. And the way that Disney influenced me as a designer, the visual way that it influenced me as a designer is composition. Because Disney is the—they're the—I was going to say kings, but yeah, you could say kings. They're the kings and queens of composition. There's a certain way that they do their composition. I call it the three levels of Disney or the three layers of Disney. I bought the Disney poster art book, which put me down a deep dive of studying why Disneyland posters are some of the best artwork on posters that I've ever seen. Now to give you a context, this isn't bragging, this is just living. I at one moment was one of the top 100 gig poster artists in America. I was in the very first Gig Posters book, GigPosters.com book, where they celebrated like the hundred top studios and uh, my work was featured in there. I've been featured in uh, several design magazines for being a award-winning poster designer. And I've also been featured in like Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine for concert posters. So poster design is a big part of my designer career. But I started looking at the Disneyland posters specifically and I just realized there was a different technique where the posters begged for your attention and they they just were designed in a way where you really, really had to look at them. And, And I started to realize that with the three layers that they were doing a bit of a compositional magic trick. And so I really, I studied their artwork really studied it. I went on a deep dive to try to figure out how I could get more of that into my own work. And by doing that, that study, and this is, I'm working on a video that really breaks down the three levels of storytelling, but in a very brief way, every good Disneyland, a poster has three levels to it. There's always something in the foreground that isn't what you're supposed to be looking at. If it's, Uh, a tree or a mailbox or a rooftop of another building there's typically something that is in an extreme foreground which means that you have to take a minute to look around this item that's layer one that's the top layer but down on the next layer the middle layer that's our subject matter that's where indiana jones goes that's where you know the Mark Twain says that's where the attraction actually lies. is on layer two. But when you have to look around the mass of a frontier boat, to get over to the Mark Twain, I realized that because these posters had a very intelligent composition, that you spend more time with them, you you have to look around an item to find to discover what it is that you're trying to find. And then the third and final layer is the, the the bottom layer, the third layer, which is the infinity layer that makes Disneyland feel like it has no end and it goes on forever. So metaphorically speaking, the poster is just like walking through the park. There's always something in front of you that you have to walk around, a bench, a tree, a stand, a guest. You always have to bend around a curve to get to that, next piece that you want to go to. In Galaxy's Edge, for example, you have to bend around the shops and now you're in front of Ronto Roasters, but you have to bend around Ronto Roasters and now you can see the Millennium Falcon. And so you go around an item to discover where you want to go, but then the infinite, the backdrop, makes you feel like there's so much more for you to discover. And so I started to really intellectually look at how the park was designed And I I started to look at how the posters were designed, and I realized that it was a masterful composition all based around efficiency of of land, efficiency of design, whether you're going from the, the, the posters or the park, and an efficiency of discovery that if you just make a straight road, you walk down a straight road. But if you put bends and turns around every corner, you just keep feeling like there's so much more to discover. So where a lot of people ran into the galaxy's edge and they immediately complained, there's nothing here to do. Somebody from my design philosophy thought that it was a masterfully designed land because there were so many bins in the road. There's so much discovery. There's so much infinite backdrop for you to to deep dive into. The artwork truly does inspire the park and vice versa. They're, They're pretty much the best best match ever made in heaven the way that the posters are designed so if you ask me what the biggest takeaway from disney as a visual design was for my artwork when i was still doing that and i don't do it anymore that was the biggest lesson that i learned but ultimately that was also what got me into loving the park so much more now if i go another layer of what i've been influenced and what i've learned from from disney is that project is only good as its details and the more you put into your detailing the stronger your project is so with Disneyland for designers the reason why I use the split red and white light bulb that you can find in refreshment corner is it really is a symbol the, the bat symbol if you will of a project overall is only as strong as how you've paid attention to every minute detail and the mission of the podcast is to explore how all the little details go into this bigger narrative that makes us love this place so much. So when you learn what the details are, it only reinforces your love of the overall larger story. I'm actually working on a YouTube video that will break down visually how to design like a Disney poster. Uh, and I will also in that video show how it corresponds with the actual park, how the park works for people that are getting excited and asking about that over in the live chat. So there you go, Fifi Mae. Excellent question. Thank you so much for asking. And Fifi Mae, absolute legend, went to downtown Disney and was listening to Disneyland for Designers on our headphones. And uh, what an honor to be ripping the park with you, Fifi. What an what, a, what an awesome mashup. Heading back over to my friends on YouTube, Melissa says... I read Disney's land last year. That's a book and I was having a hard time figuring out Disney apostrophe land. What's going on here? I read Disney apostrophe land last year and it was fascinating. Any book documentary resources you enjoyed in your Disney studies, Wikipedia, go to Wikipedia and just let your little heart get full, like start at your favorite attraction. And every time you get a link, open that link up and another tab bookmark it. And that's where you start reading the next night. You will go down such an infinity spiral. It is unbelievable what you will find. I also strongly would uh, recommend Yesterland.com where anything that goes away from the park gets put into Yesterland. The author of that website has everything divided up by land. And it is a masterful resource on wanting to figure out something that you kind of feel like there's a little bit more story there. If you go to Yesterland, it will always prove to you, oh, yeah, there's way more story there. Way more story there. Do I have a favorite uh, Disneyland attraction poster? Yeah, there's an old Tomorrowland silkscreen print that is really, really rare. All the ones from 55 when they were actually silkscreening them and they were doing the color reduction that is required from silkscreen. I love those a lot, but there's a Tomorrowland with a a rocket and... um, It just has really, really great sort of perspective to it. But um, it's very hard for me to pick my favorite off the top of my head because essentially everyone I see is my favorite until I see another one. Chase Cohen says, Hey, thanks again for all the cool concepts and for the Avengers e-ticket. Do you know how much longer until we get the finale you spoke about? I've been eagerly waiting to watch it and share it around. Well, Chase... I appreciate that you were watching my Avengers Wakanda uh, fictional ride. I am still working on the final video in that series. Um, I just, my job as a content creator, I have to go which way that the wind blows. And um, unfortunately, that video series, I it was an insane amount of work. And I have a very, very small YouTube presence. And uh, I just wasn't getting what I thought, if I'm being honest, I wasn't getting the return on the investment, And so I wanted to do a couple of other little things to try to boost the numbers so that I could justify doing that. But I will not leave you hanging. I will show you what my ultimate dream of how the Avengers e-ticket attraction could work. So we'll not leave you hanging on that. It's just the problem is, is that my idea of how that is going to work is um, very, very ambitious. And I'm not an animator. So I'm having to hack the animation off of going to, get this, I go to AutoCAD websites where they have demos of AutoCAD. I find pieces from AutoCAD demos that look like what I need. I then green screen out from the AutoCAD what I don't need, and I try to make my own animations in Premiere using these video recordings that I do. It is, it is the most ghetto uh, build out you've ever ever seen so i'm happy chase that you're enjoying the series i will not leave you hanging i will for sure for sure finish it up going back over to twitch norcal mark who hung out with me i believe all day for the disneyland 65th anniversary live stream would you consider a live visit to dca similar to last friday not as much history there but i love that park too well i have decided a couple of things i, I appreciate you asking Every Friday, I do a Disney dedicated stream over on Twitch from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sometimes we rip through the park. Sometimes I do like a news piece where we look at something in the park. Sometimes those get edited into, into a shorter version for people to watch over on YouTube. That's not going to change. But what I wanted to tell everybody is this. Part of my idea of turning Disneyland for Designers into a real podcast, and by real podcast, a podcast that actually makes money because this is my full-time job and I know talking about money is gross, but when this is your job, you got to think about money because you want to keep doing your job. So ultimately when Disneyland reopens, Disneyland for Designers will shift over into the second phase or maybe the third phase of that project where there will be a way where you can join a Disneyland for Designers specific Patreon that has lots of bonuses. But I'm going to go ahead and just test out some of that content now It's sort of a free-for-all see how it works see how people enjoy it and just make sure that i've guessed what i have planned properly so a big announcement that i'm announcing today is that on the 13th of every month you can join me for an extended live stream and we'll be doing our august 13th stream from disney's california adventure these won't be 18-hour streams. That was a 65th anniversary special. Uh, But you can join me on August 13th. I believe that is a Thursday when I was doing my homework. Yep, it's a Thursday and you can join me for six to eight hours of Disney's California Adventure. And yeah, there's not as much history in that park. But I think what I realized people enjoyed was just being in the park and what i enjoyed was being in the park with a community of friends so the 13th of every month there will be a different in park stream an extended stream that we can do together and to keep them interesting sometimes they will have a theme sometimes we'll just do a land sometimes i'll have a sort of a history lesson planned but for now august 13th you can join me that Thursday over in Disney's California Adventure. And the rule is, is that we abide by the Disneyland schedule. So that one will stop at 10 o'clock. But we will have to watch World of Color before we leave. Because you can't do a whole day of DCA and not rip some World of Color. So thank you for asking North uh, It's Something I'm really, really excited to do is to keep building on the services that I offer with Disneyland for Designers. And really sort of not have it be as much as a podcast. But a club, a Disneyland club, a club of people that all enjoy the park in a similar way. Maybe we all live spread out around the world and we don't get to hang out physically together, but we can virtually. And some of these tours will change greatly when the park opens because some of these tours, you'll be living along with me while I'm inside of Disneyland. Some of these tours, I'll be inside of the park and you'll be doing them with me live. And sometimes I'll go in and shoot footage for the studio so we can do whatever that month's special mission is. So that's that's what I have planned. But this Friday, because so many people asked about DCA, we're going to be doing a little bit of DCA on our normal weekly 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Friday trip to Disneyland. Sean says, I need the AID shirt. Will you be making more? I'll probably be making more of those later in the year. Probably once Disneyland reopens, I'll make more shirts. I'm just right now, I don't want to be... I mean, I appreciate all the super chats and all the people that, that supported me Friday when I was streaming. I appreciate that, but I don't want to outright make any merchandise or or outright sell anything while the park is closed because it just feels distasteful. And I have a lot of respect for Disneyland, and I try to create all of my content and, and everything in a way that it feels respectful to the park. Megan Bernstein creator of the Bernstein bite over in Twitch says, Mark, how would you compare Halloween versus Christmas times at the park? Oh, Megan, do you want to break this grown man's heart and make me think about how much I love Disney Halloween and how much I love Disney Christmas? Well, the big difference is Halloween has a ticketed event. Oogie Boogie's Halloween bash or Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. Those special ticketed items, I cannot recommend enough for people that don't live in Southern California or people that do live in Southern California, but due to financial circumstances, can't afford a Disneyland pass. Those ticketed events are so special and so awesome. You get such a great value, but most importantly, you get a park that's pretty empty for a good deal, for, for a good ticket price. So I highly recommend those to to people that are coming in from from out of town. So that was the number one thing that makes Halloween different than Christmas. But the thing that makes Christmas ultimately the better thing at Disneyland is Christmas is a more emotional holiday, and Disneyland preys on emotions. That's part of the magic. But the Disneyland Christmas is more everywhere. It's just all around the park, from Small World to Pooh to uh, Main Street, both parks. I mean, the the Christmas celebration is all-encompassing. Downtown Disney, it's really, really great. But one of my best Disneyland memories ever would be September 2013. They had just let Labor Day pass, and the park had its orange, white, and brown, yellow bunting everywhere. Pumpkins were adorning all up and down Main Street. Uh, the Big Thunder Trail had a Halloween village set up, and I remember B- Beth and I, my wife and I, we went to Disneyland like that first week. This was going to be our first full Disney Halloween, and I remember walking down Main Street USA with a long sleeve button up shirt on so that all my tattoos wouldn't fade in the sun and I wouldn't get sunburnt. Luck of the Irish, and um, I was sweating. It was September, and there's pumpkins everywhere, and I'm just sweating, sweat dripping into my eyes. And I got this choked up lump in the back of my throat that where we were from, we'd been going down the same highway with everybody out east, but they were getting ready to go to the left. They were getting ready to go to this place called winter and it was going to get colder. It was going to get snowier and they were going to go to winter, but living in Southern California, we were going to go to the right. We were going to keep going the same way that we were going and it was going to stay warm, And seeing Halloween for the first time in in Disneyland, it just reminded me of, I now live in the endless summer. California was a dream of mine. I've always loved California. I grew up loving punk rock and skateboarding and art and culture. And California was the epicenter of many of the things that I loved. And it was that day on Main Street that I really realized the weight of what we had done previous that March 1st when we moved to California and that the good times were going to keep on rolling. And many of those good times are going to keep on rolling at Disneyland. Let me see. I'm looking for more of questions versus people agreeing with me. Like James is saying, drives me crazy when people complain about Galaxy's Edge. Me too. I just don't think that they're smart fans. I just don't think that they really, really understand it or get it. I mean, give me an intellectual complaint about it and I'll agree with you. Yes, if you have young kids, There's not a lot to do for young kids there. I absolutely understand that. But there are lands in Disneyland where there's not a lot for adults to do, and they're for young kids. So I think it's sort of, you know, and super young kids shouldn't be watching Star Wars because it's a little bit of a mid-age kid and older. So in my mind, you kind of have to be old enough to ride Rise or or Smuggler's Run to get Star Wars. So therefore, that's the age that the land should cater to. Disney and Design over on Twitch says... It seems like your specialty is 2D design, but do you have any insights into or friends you can invite to speak on set decorating with the park? I soak up all things Joe road and love trader Brandon's story of trader Sam's, but I'm looking for more of a day in the life of a Disney set decorator. Um, so I actually was able to go to the park one evening with a lady who worked for set decorating at at Disneyland, and her information was fabulous. Very, very fabulous. I don't think that she would be the best guest on Disneyland for Designers because I try to pick people that I know have the conversational skills to keep a podcast going, but I learned a lot from her, and I I, I share a lot of that when I do the tours, Um, and it was a really awesome opportunity to get to hang out with her and learn from somebody who actually their job was set decorating. I did learn that there is... A section of people that their only job in this world is Disneyland Christmas. Setting it up, preparing it, taking it down, getting it all ready for the following year, repairing things that are that are injured or, or wounded display items, making new stuff for the following year. Like there is literally a Disneyland Christmas team that only works on the Christmas decorations for the entire year. Blew my mind. There's also a whole department that just fabricates, like, seat coverings, uh, curtains, like, all fabrics and textiles in the park are done by a certain division. It blew my mind that there's somebody who's just like, "Yep, yeah, we're redoing benches today. We're redoing benches in, in a restaurant. Like, that just blew my mind that it's that efficient. It's down to that much. I also met a lovely uh, younger woman one night who worked with cast member costuming, and she told me a lot about how the costuming works with the characters and 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 how the stormtroopers are able to communicate with people and um so what i do with that information is i try to just put it into my own stories because i really i value cast members in their job and i don't ever want to get anybody into trouble because disney arguably understandably Uh, it's proprietary information. So instead of saying, Hey, I talked to somebody and this is what they told me, which could get somebody in trouble. And isn't the coolest thing to do. And then more people won't talk to you. I just put that into my unofficial tours and and things that I talk about on the show. um, Because then it's just kind of like, Oh, he just knows this. And I don't really credit where it came from. So it's kind of how I like to, to do that. Uh, And a lot of people are like, well, get this person on the show. Get that person on the show. Here's the problem. If you work for Disney, you're not really allowed to talk about Disney. So if you notice, when I have like my buddy Philander on, the one thing that we never talk about is him being a VIP tour guide. We talk about our mutual admiration for the lands, the attractions, the designs, everything that makes up Disneyland. But we never get into how his job works because I would feel like that would not be a very honorable thing to do to my friend's job. So, as rad as it would be to have people on and have them talk about their job, that's only going to happen through Disney official content where they can control the editing and the narrative to make sure things are told the way that they want them to be told. And arguably, that's the way that it should be. They should control their narrative. They shouldn't just put their park secrets and information into the hands of a stranger like me. Although, I'd love to collaborate and work on something official. That will never happen. But a funny thing to say. So... As you hear me bring people onto the podcast, the number one reason why when I had like, you know, Tasha on from Pixar, the reason why I don't dig in to information and just talk about what's already there is because I would hope that Disneyland for Designers would start to become a safe place where an Imagineer or designer could come on the show and they're just going to talk about the park and how they love the park. And they know that I won't pester them about their job. So uh, what new thing are you guys working on for Star Wars? Like, so I'm trying to really create a safe space where professionals can come on and talk about as a professional, as somebody who's worked with the corporation, how they love Disneyland and, and how they love the way that the park works. And if they throw us a chicken nugget, they throw us a chicken nugget. I won't pester them for more details. Essentially, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that I respect them, their jobs and what they do. And so, therefore, bringing on people to work for the park, it can be a little bit confusing unless you just talk to them about the park. I have a friend who's an architect who's done a tremendous amount of amazing projects, amazing projects for Disneyland. If I were to ever bring him on, the one thing we wouldn't talk about are his amazing projects that he's done for Disneyland. We would talk about what he enjoys about the park as an architect, what he thinks is special about it, and memories that he has from a child of going there. That's the way that I do it. Got some people talking about how they really enjoyed the live stream and being in the community of people. And I have to say, this probably comes with being a very, very small video channels, but we didn't get trolled. Like everybody was having a really, really good time. There was nobody annoying. Like it was such a great, great community of people. So yeah, Friday was awesome. And it definitely sort of proved some theories of mine were were things worthy of being pursued. Disney Design, we're still doing Fridays in the Park. Fridays in the Park, we'll still do parts in the park, and sometimes I'll do little news stories. Like, I have a couple of news stories that I'm working on for this Friday. And uh, once we get those out of the way, we're going to go into DCA and just do a a little bit of cruising around DCA. But there's a couple of things that I want to sort of explore and look at. And being honest, those are also, I'll be shooting a YouTube video while we're doing our chat. But I love creating the YouTube content while I'm streaming live because so many of you ask really great questions about things that I hadn't thought about putting in my notes. So in many ways, when I look at the content that I created while I was live streaming, it does add a level of stress and it makes the editing a little bit difficult, but having you all on as my segment producers, you help me make better content. So I'm very excited to do more of that in the future. Scary Gary says favorite quick service in the park. Favorite quick service in the park. I'm going to go with favorite quick service in the park is that breakfast sandwich in Tomorrowland is so good. You get a roll with a sausage patty, bacon on it, uh, uh, egg, cheese, and the hash brown put in there too. It's all things breakfast. And here's a little tip from a guy from the South. If you're not putting grape jelly on your sausage, you're not eating sausage properly. A little grape jelly in there makes it even better. Absolutely delicious, delicious. So that's one of my favorite like quick grab items in the park. As far as my favorite walk up quick grab restaurant in the park, oh man, I'm going to have to go with if I'm going to go with health, I'm going to go with Bingo barbecue because Bingo barbecue has such great food! If that was just a regular restaurant outside of Disneyland, I would crush it all the time. Another one would be Ronto Roasters. I love the Ronto Wrap, whether it's the breakfast one or the all-day one, um, and it's the most expensive hot dog stand you've ever been to. I mean, Droid Pod Racer Engine, steam galore, and a Tatooine sunset. What a what a drink that is! So, those are some of my favorite quick grab places favorite cone zone snack oh atomic child favorite cone zone snack cone queso the cone queso is the best of all the cone snacks when you're over in the cozy cones so good but we're also going to go cone based snack i'm going to cheat and i'm going to go back to christmas because i always want to be in christmas and i'm going to go to the gibson girl hey girl And what I'm going to choose from the Gibson girl is I love the peppermint ice cream in the waffle cone that has been dipped in chocolate and covered in candy cane. Moment of silence for Christmas and another moment of silence for the peppermint ice cream and the candy cane waffle cone. Love it so much. It's like eating a Christmas tree and who doesn't want to eat a Christmas tree? Adam George Fowler like that name Mr. Fowler Favorite attraction in the park and why Oh I hate this one so much Because different attractions I have different favorite reasons Favorite favorite I don't know I really really love The Mark Twain Because Being raised literally on the banks Of the Ohio River We'd ride our bikes down there We'd skateboard down there Do not get in the river. Your parents like don't get in the river. You'll die. It was just that was the rule. You go in the river. You're going to die. We went in the river. I didn't die. Uh, I love the Mark Twain because of being raised around the Belle of Louisville and the Delta Queen and what steamboats mean to me. And I love just how epic it is going around the rivers of America. I love that one so much. I love the Disneyland Railroad because that's the best bench in the park. Can I go back to my best bench answer and say Disneyland Railroad? When you get the stadium seating and you can look into the park, I love the Disneyland Railroad so much. Doing that full circle, full grand circle tour is, is fantastic. Rise of the Resistance is such an unbelievable experience and it's a promise of where things can go. And I know that this is like a cheat excuse, but who doesn't love Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion? I mean, that is the one to emotional punch. Every time you ride it, you've rode it a hundred times. Every time you ride it, you swear like, did they just put that in? I've never seen that before. Is that new? Did they just put that in here? That's insane. That's insane. That ride it a hundred times and you still find new things. So those are all rides that I love and why I love them. But really, this is a cheat answer. My favorite ride is the lap. The one thing that I always do is the complete lap around Disneyland. Walking the park, navigating from land to land, seeing other people enjoy their good times, seeing strangers and strangers' children just getting lost in the Disney magic. The walk, the lap, is my absolute favorite part. That, to me, is more superior than any attraction. So when you ask me what's my favorite thing about Galaxy's Edge, walking through it and living in it. Then Rise of the Resistance. But I literally, I just can't even convey how much I enjoy taking in the land itself. That is my favorite. and That might be a cheat, but I gave you plenty of attractions that I love and why. Drew McVeigh says, as someone who is in recovery and doesn't drink, I enjoy Ogus Cantina, even though they focus on alcohol. Do you think that they will add more food to the menu outside of wasabi beans? I don't know that they will add more food because I think they want to get people in and out of Ogas. And I think food slows down the experience. So I don't, I don't think so. But Drew, as part of your recovery, I am 45 years old. I know, don't look a day over 50. And I am completely drug free and have been my entire life. And let me tell you something. Not many people have had more fun. Not many people have been the life of the party more Not many people have partied as hard as I have completely and totally drug-free my entire life. I'm not a snoot. I'm not a snob. My wife loves to partake in the drink. I, I go on vacations with people that like to drink, don't enjoy being around drugs. I'm okay with booze, hate being around smoking, but I'm just telling you, as part of your recovery, let me tell you, you can have a lot of fun sober, bud, a lot of fun sober. And I hope that you find that fun. Sean says This I don't I haven't read this but this looks like an interesting one. Sean says You have been granted a wish by your fairy godmother to spend 1 hour with Walt. You are equipped with a time machine. You can either go back to when Walt was alive or bring him into the future. What do you do? Oh, this is difficult. I need to take a coffee drink and think about this. It has been decided. I go back to Walt's time. Because if I bring Walt to my time, I have to explain to Walt, like, Walt, sit down. Let me tell you what a Star War is. And then let me show you what we did to the other side of Rivers of America. If I bring Walt to me, then I have to do all the talking. And I love to talk, but I don't want to talk in front of Walt. But if I go back to Walt's time, I get to learn from Walt. I get to see Walt's world. I get to study him more, and I would spend my hour with Walt. That's the direction that you go with that question. Very good question. Very good question. Very creative. But you want to go back and see Walt walk and talk and how other people looked at him and and learn from his leadership and his creativity. If I get one hour with him, I want that hour to be with 50s or 60s Walt. Atomic Child says, now, how long do you think we have to wait for Mickey's Runaway Railway for Disneyland? Well, it is one of the construction jobs that seems to still be going, so that's a good sign. I would think that we'll probably see Mickey's Runaway Railway in early 22, just my guess. And I think that they will, they've will. they already got the budget allotted for that. They're already in the middle of construction, and I think that once, hopefully, the, the COVID storm passes... They will be looking for a big win to get people back into the park. And what better timing than be like, hey, here's a new Mickey Mouse attraction. I think that's going to get people back into the park big time. The Rebel Elastic says, What Disney movie characters would you like to see represented as an attraction in the parks that's not currently represented? I'm going to go with, I don't really watch the Disney movies. You know, I love Star Wars and I love Marvel. You know, it would be rad if there was something Darth Vader related other than a meet and greet. Love Darth Vader, one of the greatest characters ever. But going more into like a core Disney, I feel like that there should be something Coco in the park. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but I know the storyline. A little boy who's a skeleton, wants to be a real boy... And then a mystic sage old grandmother goes, mijo, you have to drink the cocoa. And then when he finally, through his village, he goes on all these adventures with his friend the rooster through the Azteca village. They eventually get all the ingredients. You need four ingredients to make the magic cocoa. But once you get all four of those, cilantro and then three others, you can put all that together and you can make the magical cocoa. Coco Elixir. Now, look, I cried like everybody when the skeleton turned into a boy. So I think that even though I know what the movie is about, I think Coco really should go into the parks because we have such a strong buildup of Latino citizens that are a part of Southern California. Uh, Latino culture is a big part of our culture. Um, That's a huge part of the demo that makes up Disneyland. And I think it's about time that there is something for that massive representation of Disneyland citizens to be able to go to. So I I think, you know, maybe it's like the teacups where we all get into the magic cocoa and we all like spin around and then we're like, "Yay, we're all boys now. You know, who knows, who knows how they do it. I'll leave that up to Imagineering, but you you can follow my thread. Artie says if you could go back and convince Walt to not build one thing for opening day. And do you think he would still build Autopia? (laughs) (laughs) convince Walt not to do one thing. Follow-up question. Do you still think he'd do Autopia, even though you told him not to? Here's the thing. Autopia made sense in 1955. We didn't have the highway system yet. Go-karts weren't everywhere. Like, Autopia made sense in 55. It will not make sense in 2025, and it'll probably still be there. If I could tell Walt not to build one thing on opening day, what would I tell him not to build? Man, let me think about this. Ah, the the motorboats right the, the the they were well it wasn't exactly the opening day but it was the opening years that was one of the biggest disasters ever it wasn't a good way to go um i would probably tell him that or i'm trying to think about what one of the early like colossal failures were i might tell him like uh, you know Frontierland, we might, might want to save <laughs> might want to save some of this budget on this native american village it's not exactly what people want it's hard to say retrospectively, but, you know, I know that that was a way to get me to try to talk trash about Utopia, but I have to say, I'm a firm believer of Utopia 55. Makes total sense. For the future, not so much. Adam George Fowler says, if you had unlimited money, what would you do? What would I improve at Disneyland and why? Tomorrowland. I would take Tomorrowland and make it great again. Quote me on that one. I think Tomorrowland... Is the roughest section of the park. It it is so many different f- fabrics of of different times. It doesn't have a through line as far as its coloring, as far as its texturing, as far as its technique. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge really made all of Launch Bay my favorite attraction, and uh, uh, Star Tours pretty pretty redundant and, and unnecessary, and made it look even more grossly out- outdated. My revision of Tomorrowland is this, since you asked. I would love to take Main Street and make it go a little bit further. So if we look at the lot of land that is Tomorrowland, I'd like to cut it up into thirds. I would like to do... A big third of it would just be that Main Street, you can turn right, Main Street keeps going. Maybe you walk past First Aid, you could go behind the the Plaza Inn. You know, I know there's a lot of backstage stuff there, but I would really love that if the Main Street vibe kept going. Uh, I would love in that area more shops, more of like a cafe, sidewalk, dining type environment. And I would also like somewhere in there a second story, sort of a Club 33 for the rest of us type of place. Disneyland is missing a Carthay Circle type dining experience. I would love for them to do a more premier restaurant, second floor type vibe, you know, uh, tablecloths, um, you know, that type of dining establishment. You know, someplace where you're going to go two people, buck fifty, that type of price point, you know, a real steak on the menu. Uh, maybe have a balcony that is conducive to really great firework viewing. But then for the everyman, Down below, cafe seating, you know, lots of little, like, places where you can walk up to and just make Disneyland feel more like a city. Now, the attraction in this area is I would love a dark ride that is the Disneyland story. Audio, animatronic, Walt Disney. We tell the Disneyland story. We show things that don't exist anymore. We build all these little vignettes in there. Maybe a couple scenes from some different movies. Just sort of the Disneyland story, but as a dark ride that you go through. And I think as Disney gets closer and closer to its 100th anniversary, there's three mascots in the park that are developing. There is Mickey Mouse for the kids and for the young at heart. Walt Disney has become sort of folklore legend. Not a perfect man, but did a couple of perfect things. And so he's become sort of Mickey Mouse for adults, if you will. But the third narrative in the park is the history of the park itself. How do you build the happiest place on earth? How do you make these experiences? So at some point that needs to be documented. So I think that if you bring somebody there who's maybe a skeptic, they can go on this dark ride and understand more where they're spending a the day. But for those of us that are the believers, the the true believers, the true lovers of the magic, we can go on this ride and it reconfirms why we love it so much So that would be for that Now the other slice up at the top As I'm cutting Tomorrowland in into the thirds War Fantasyland I would love to see the Beauty and the Beast attraction That would sit up there We could use the old motorboat uh, docks As a bridge that we walk across To get over to Belle and the Beast's castle the lagoon could work in well there. Utopia is a massive, massive footprint. We're a little bit close to Harbor. We're a little bit close to, to the highway back there to Five. But give us more seamless, seamless fantasy land. I don't think that Frozen fits well there because you have Matterhorn. Mountain battling mountain would be weird. Although a little village would be fine. I would take it. I just think more fantasy land would be great. And now there's this sliver in the middle. I'll leave it up to you. Do you want a uh, 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 space mountain to stay? Do you want space mountain to stay? Because if you do, you can have it. And I'll give you a little thoroughfare that'll lead you right up to it. Maybe with a couple of like retro atomic age, 55 type attraction. So it's not the future, the way that we envision it because we're always going to get there. But it's sort of what the future looked like to Walt. It's sort of more of a roadside attraction, Palm Springs type version of mid-century modern futurism. Doesn't really tie into a property. Everything likes to tie into a property. I don't know how that part works. If that doesn't work for you, then maybe there's an isolated land that could go in the middle there. But I think there's enough land there. Give Fantasyland a bump. Give Main Street a bump. What you do at the middle... Choose your own adventure, that's up to you. But that's what I would love, love to happen. Derek C has Derek C says, Have your feelings changed at all? For better, or for worse, overall on Star Wars since Disney took over. Um I think that Disney I think Disney and Star Wars has not been a perfect match. Marvel's been fantastic. Because Marvel has leadership. Kevin Feige, a really great vision of where everything's going to go and how it's all going to work out. So I really, I I love how he has been able to create, you know, everything that goes up to Endgame. What a cinematic accomplishment. Now, with Star Wars, they were trying too hard to manufacture a hit. I felt The Force Awakens was a cover band of New Hope. I felt that uh, Last Jedi really took some chances and went somewhere, but then that was completely ruined by uh, Rise of Skywalker Like not following that same thread and basically trying to rewrite the narrative. Those three movies have not done very well. I have enjoyed, though, Solo. I enjoyed Solo a lot. And I think that... um, the uh the other standalone movie rogue one every time i think of that movie i just think of the trailer that goes whoop, whoop, whoop. that's all i think of i liked rogue one a lot i loved how bleak it was and then really taking us up to the very tip of when new hope starts was was unexpected and fantastic so i think their problem is is they've They've tried too hard to manufacture a hit. Now, if we go back and look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we realize that the first movies weren't the best. It kind of gelled somewhere in the middle. So what I really think they need to do with Star Wars to make it great, and I think that uh, Mandalorian has proved this, is think a little bit smaller, think a little bit more about building characters and interesting stories, And then let the universe feel connected after you get that established. Their original idea of doing lots of standalone movies, you know, uh, a Boba Fett, which is essentially what Mandalorian turned out to be, an Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Yoda type thing. Like, I think that that is a way more successful formula because on movies that are smaller, like Solo. And by the way, that kid felt like Han Solo by the end of it. Like the kid did a way better job than people gave him recognition for. Smaller movies have less stakes. So you can make the smaller movies and figure out what's working and then build towards your grand finale. So instead of just going, here's what you wanted, 7, 8, and 9, they should have made literally 6, 8, 10 smaller movies that would lead us to 7, right? That would lead us to what Force Awakens would be. Because after making a handful of smaller, less anticipated movies... One, we would be happy to have Star Wars back into our life. We'd be happy to go on all these different journeys, meet new people. Some people we love. Some people were like, meh. Some work, some don't. But ultimately, they would find their stride. So if we did two movies in the first year, three movies in the second year, three movies in the third year, and then four in the fourth year. And then we got Force Awakens. Think about how much better that film would have been if they had a smaller stage to work it all out on. You don't go into the studio and write your songs and go, here's our hit record. You demo the songs, you play the songs, you go on tour, you figure out if the audience likes them, you figure out if you like them, you learn how to play the songs better, then you record the songs. That's how you make your first record. So I really think that, They just went in too hot, too heavy on their $4 billion investment, which seems pretty cheap by what they've already gotten out of it, and it hasn't been that successful. I feel like that's the path that they should have taken. We should have worked our way up to an official Star Wars film, and then we should have started all over again. We should have went into another cluster of films all over the timeline, but are bringing in bits and pieces, and then we get our way to eight. My pitch would have been this. I will give you seven, eight, nine. In the scope of the next 10 to 20 years. That would have been my pitch. We will earn these and we will make them the moments that Star Wars fans want. My hot take. I have a YouTube channel with barely any subscribers. (laughs) I have a very small Twitch feed. I have a couple podcasts. So take my advice wherever you want. I am not the king of content. But I feel like I have good ideas. There's your answer, Derek C., Rebel Elastic says, my choice is Coco as well. I completely agree. Also, your synopsis of Coco was amazing. You know, I don't need to see it. I know what happens. Oh, mijo, drink the Coco. I'm a boy. He's a boy. He was made of bones, and now he's a boy. Olé, olé. Everybody loves that song. Loves that song. It's like the the Let's Go of Coco. Jordan B. says, make Utopia into an underground Tesla tunnel and putting something new on top. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say electric cars, Tesla cars. But I, I think that the problem with that is if they would have if Tesla would have redid Atopia a decade ago, it would have been mind blowing because it would have been showing the future. But now. In Southern California, there's so many people that have Teslas. There's so many people that are riding around in cars that are autonomous that that moment has already passed. So if they started on that now today and in two years they got it in there, I just think that moment has passed. I really don't know anything they can do for Utopia that would make it feel forward thinking unless they can be the first to nail flying cars. You give me a flying car that I can drive on my own, I'm waiting in line for Utopia all day long. That's my new favorite attraction. But they're not going to let the cars fly. And if it did, who wants a flying car with a bar going down the middle of it? Oh, I can fly, but I can only fly two feet in each way of this bar. Get out of here, Utopia. Go home. You're drunk. Your time's up. Atomic Age Tomorrowland. I see some people that are talking about that. It would be so amazing for a retro Tomorrowland. But the number one reason why it probably wouldn't happen is IP. We haven't seen anything built. In any of the parks for quite some time that isn't associated to an IP. And in fact, the last big non-IP gamble was California Adventure. They gave people a park with California as the theme playing into history. Basically, what Walt rolled the dice on in 55. But guess what? A new millennial audience did not want it. And now they've had to go through the park, land by land, land by land, and they've had to... Put billions of dollars with a B into it to make it feel like a Disney park. So I would think that we're probably not gonna see that. Now somebody said Rocketeer ride. Rocketeer is a very niche like people that love Rocketeer love Rocketeer. Everybody else goes, What is that? So I don't know if that's I don't know if that's what they need. I think they were hoping somehow that Tomorrowland the movie with Brad Bird could could sort of become that cultural zeitgeist that could get it going again, but very, very bad movie. See, every time I go to see a Disney movie, I get burned. Emelica over on Twitch says, In your mind, what elements make a successful attraction? What attraction in Disneyland Resort does the best job of being successful in creating an attraction that transports you into a story, theming, etc.? Okay, so if we're talking about an e-ticket attraction, what makes a successful e-ticket attraction in my mind is this. You have to feel like you've gone somewhere. You have to feel like you've truly been in an all-encompassing environment that is full of escapism. You you literally have to make an attraction that makes people feel like they went someplace. In 65, the Jungle Cruise was the perfect attraction. It was exotic. It, it felt otherworldly. Like You literally got on the boat and just went into... The Amazon or the Nile, whichever you decide. So that's sort of that's the bare bones perfect attraction template. We see that improved with things like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. Where you just go into this full encompassing adventure. And I, I think that Rise of the Resistance, and I won't go into it in great detail because I know that many people didn't get to ride it before the parks shut down. And in many ways it is truly... A perfect Disney e-ticket. It's maybe an F ticket. It's maybe like one above because it is so much its own thing. But I think that a perfect Disneyland e-ticket attraction, it has three acts to it, it tells a real story. Radiator, Radiator Springs, for example. We're going on a casual drive. All of a sudden, you know. We're, we're in the dark tunnel. Whoa, slow down. You're not racing yet. We have the dark ride version of it, and then we have the thrilling race at the end. Perfect three-act story. Um, Rise of the Resistance also has a perfect three-act story. Uh, same with Pirates of the Caribbean. Three acts in there as well. So it has a story. It has the transformation of going into a different location, but most importantly, it has characters and icons that stand separate. It has a hatbox ghost. It has um, a a Kylo Ren. It has these moments that are a vernacular and a language all of their own that Disneyland fans love and adore. So I really think that it's, it's, for me personally, it's a lot less about what I'm physically doing. Like the web-slingers, web-slingers that's coming to the Marvel campus, it sounds a lot like Midway Mania, and Midway Mania is fun. I'm only riding it if I've got VIP access, or I'm with somebody from out of town that really, really wants to ride it. Like the video game Buzz Blaster type attractions, they just don't do it for me. Um, I quite simply want to sit in my cart and feel the vibes. I want to feel the. I almost went into a Marky Mark song. I want to feel the vibes, feel the vibrations, feel it, feel it. I just want to sit there and feel it and just look around. I don't want to have to be focused on playing a game or trying to do some sort of conquest. I just want to live in this environment. I want to enjoy a well-thought-out story that has different emotional beats to it. And I want to feel like I've gone somewhere. So when I'm looking at my version of perfect attractions, they're the ones that tell stories. The Jungle Cruises, the Pirates, Haunted Mansion, Rise of the Resistance, those are all absolutely perfect. It's a small world, kind of perfect in its own different category. Disneyland Railroad, Mark Twain, perfect in their own category. But for me, like what I'm really looking for is a Radiator Racers. Like I love that kind of ride. That's the ride that gets me. Guardians, Mission Breakout. That is fun. It is thrilling. I always leave it with like just totally jacked up. That's a different. That's a thrill ride. And you know when I look at a story ride like Soarin'. Soren is the most successful last built thing at Disneyland that is not a part of an IP whatsoever Those type of emotional rides really really matter a lot to me but I kind of put it in its own category because there's only so many Sorens so many Mark Twain so many Disneyland railroads and those are kind of the dying breed so when I'm looking towards the future and e tickets you know how do we get people in the park how do we sell tickets I think the perfect one is all about story and and transformation of going someplace. Disney design says, I wish IPs would stay in DCA hot take. Galaxy's edge should have been in DCA. Yeah. You know, that was a big debate for people. Does, does galaxy's edge belong in Disneyland? And I think that it does because it is a magic Magic brand, like people have real deep emotional connections to galaxies or to Star Wars, I should say. So, I think that the Galaxy's Edge is where it belongs. But I wouldn't have argued too much if they would have put it over into DCA because I eventually believe that the name of that park will just be Disney's Adventure and they'll drop California out of the name uh, and it'll become more of an adventure park. And you know, I'd be fine with that because I got Disney right across the Aspiranta which is the emotional beat that I need. Elica says, thank you for follow-up question. Do you think that more complicated Q's pre-shows help with those e-ticket experiences, such as haunted stretching room and the hallway walk? Do you see Disney going, doing more extended pre-shows in the future? I know COVID could make things hard to predict. I know Mickey's runaway railway has a wonderful pre-show. I think that the pre-shows are the template for the future because what you're trying to do with attractions is you're trying to essentially eat people up, get people in one area and and keep the pathways free and clear. So I think if we look at what was done with radiator Springs, what was done with rise of the resistance, sort of the two new e-tickets on the block at the resort. I think that sort of shows whether you're doing an Indiana Jones thing where you're like cruising through a big, long, crazy tunnel that just occupies your time and your mind I think that's going to be a big part of it. I think the COVID-19 era is going to reinforce that we need to make an attraction that has a large footprint for people to go through where they're not crowded on top of each other, but literally a safe place to store people that are waiting to go onto a ride. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see how this moment reshapes everything. And, you know, I love looking at the idea of the 100th anniversary of Disneyland. I think that this is going to be a very serious chapter in that story of pre-2020, post-2020. And so many of us are at an age where we lived to see, you know, decades of the park in its more raw and innocent form. And I wish for you and myself many of decades of seeing this more sort of adjusted uh, Disney experience. So I'm staying positive. I'm going to enjoy what I get and it won't be bittersweet, only sweet. I now have a perspective of every day is a blessing. Everything that we get is truly amazing. So thank you for being a part of another amazing day in my life because literally they all are a blessings. You woke up today. Yeah, you can't go to Disneyland, but you woke up today and you can dream about Disneyland. You can think about it. You can talk about it. And that is a big, big win. One that many of us wouldn't even consider a win a year ago today. Living Life says, if you could have any attraction themed after anything you want and any land you want, what would that be? Oh, are you giving me the open book to build whatever I want? The thing I want the most is I want a Disneyland attraction. Because I'm not a movies guy Uh, I'm definitely not a book guy. I love Disneyland. So a Disneyland attraction where I can go into various vignettes, see various models, uh, experience it in a very curated and a very well-designed three levels of Disney way. I want a Disneyland attraction in the worst way. I don't want it to be soaring. I'm cool with a boat ride, but that would make zero sense. I want to ride on a little train through this story and see Disneyland all around me. That is what I want the most. That's the property that I love. Um, Disneyland has such a rich, rich story, such a rich history. It's taking so many chances. It's constantly on the evolution. So I think that that would be what I would want the most. Open book, that's what I want. If I could tell you where I want it to be, I would like for this to sit about where Star Tour sits. Um, because I would love to be able to go down the hub and just hook a right and get more Main Street. So that is my dream. I would love I mean, you know, that 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 is literally something that would be made just for me. Melissa says, Mark, I'm not a designer. But I love what you're doing in the Disney space. Thank you. I appreciate that. So inspirational and fun. Looking forward to future adventures. My wife asked me, do I regret, as Disneyland for Designers is starting to take off as a podcast and starting to build its own audience. My wife asked me, do you regret putting the word design in the name? Do you think that that shoes people away? And I hope that it doesn't. I hope that it gives people an idea that Disneyland for designers is you don't have to be a designer because we are simply looking at Disney from a designer's perspective. We're looking at the heart, the emotions of the park, and how that all comes together. So it's really looking at Disney through a magnifying glass. And I I wanted to just do something different where you would know that this wasn't a show that just takes that week's headlines and turns it into content. You know, we're. This is not the podcast that's going to run over to Knotts right now because there's nothing to talk about at Disneyland. Like, there's still plenty to talk about at Disneyland. I don't have to go to Knott's Berry Farm and make content because I feel like what we're talking about. The park could be closed for the next five years and we still have five years of, of talking about sort of the emotions, the design, the influence of the park. So I do like talking about the news. I love giving my my version of the news and how I think that it could perfectly fit into what we have. I'm very optimistic about news from Disneyland, but I feel very happy to see that it grow and to see more and more people listening that aren't intimidated by the word design because essentially the podcast is themed around giving you a stronger connection, a stronger appreciation for things that maybe you used to walk by in the past, and now you'll fully understand their their reasoning for being there, how they're there to design emotion, how they're there to be a, a construct of all things that represent Disneyland. So I I don't regret it and I hope that um that people see it as sort of a club. You know, like a club that you go into or like, hey, I listen to this podcast, and now I'm starting to see this place in different ways, different perspectives. If uh, you guys wanted to see a little bit of positive content, I created a vlog over on the YouTube channel. It's called um, The Story of Mickey Mouse Park. Uh, I love you like Disneyland. And I literally went to the field in the Burbank area where Walt almost built. Disneyland and I kind of walked around there and showed you the land and kind of told you a bit of that story But I also pulled it into today's time so if you're looking for a little bit of an emotional like Pick me up or just a little thing to kind of put 2020 in perspective I'd strongly recommend going and watching it. It has sort of a little Interesting like emotional beat to it or take to it that I don't think a lot of people are expecting when they watch it Um, and I I appreciate everybody that's gone over there and and folks that showed up Sunday for the pre preview Thank you, Liz. Liz is saying it's amazing. If Liz of the Diz says it's amazing, then by Disneyland law, it's amazing. And you have to go partake. Megan says, how do you think Walt would address Tomorrowland? Well, Walt was an optimist. And he literally loved showing people a full potential of the future. And I think if he was still around and he had learned how many times they had to redo Tomorrowland... I think Walt Disney is the type of person to be like, let's tear it down and do something different here. Like, I think he would be the first person, to be like, give me my shovel. I'm I, this this needs to go away. Because the guy was such a visionary that he could always see what people needed next. And he was very much in tune with how to play with his consumers' emotions. Now, Tomorrowland, if you make another Tomorrowland, man, the Tomorrowland of my childhood, that was the Tomorrowland. He would just squash that debate. He would just full on go in there and be like, we're making something completely new. I don't think that he would adhere to this. It's sacred. We have to keep doing this magic trick every 15 years. And then we wait another 20 years to review it. So it's always in a state of peril. I I fully believe somebody that was as forward thinking as him would be like, a man's already gone to the moon. We already have the interstate system. We all walk around like cyborgs with many computers in our front pockets. We're living in a digital age like, hey, guys, guess what? The future is here. Tomorrow has been promised, signed, sealed, and delivered. It's now time to take this land and to do something different with it. And I truly believe he would do that. If he were here and he was steadfast, I'm like, you know, his brother Roy, who always brings him down, Mr. Bank of America Roy... If he did get bullied into doing it, when you walked into Tomorrowland, it would be like walking in Mars. It would look like a Mars colony. You would go into a glass atrium where you're allowed to breathe oxygen. You might not even be able to see it. You might go into an attraction that runs you through a tunnel, and when you come out, you're on the other side of a main street facade, and now you're inside of Tomorrowland, and the only way you can see it is to take a rocket ship there. And when you're there, you're in this glass bubble, and you're walking around on Mars. He would go so far into the future that he would know, all right, we've rebuilt this thing time and time again. I'm not going to build Tomorrowland 3,000. It's going to go straight up a thousand years into the future. And to make the the Mars experience work is you would have to have like a, a castle over by the lagoon that creates a sight line with a mountain behind it. You'd have to create a Tomorrowland that sort of meets up with Matterhorn. So you just that's all that you see. And so then if you want to go on a true mission to Mars, you have to wait in line. You get in this attraction. We get into a rocket and we see things fly by us. And then we land, and when we land, the doors open up, and we're now in this cul-de-sac where it has perfect landscaping all around it, glass atrium, so they can project things around us, and we're literally inside of a big show building that is on Mars. Nobody can see it. We can't see out. That's how you would have to do it. Case closed. Atomic Child says, Do you think that Disneyland will ever have a Disneyland 2.0? Because of the lack of land. And if so, where would they build it? So I think that this is what happens to Disneyland as we move into the future. I think anything on the resort... I think anything that is backstage will eventually become the stage. Except for, obviously, the attractions that we ride around in. I think they will maximize out that footprint. I think they will buy any land around there that they need to. And I think... I don't know if we'll ever get a third gate, but there's a lot of room for DCA. There's a lot of room for Disneyland. If you really, really look at the map and think about what could go away. And I say this to you. Why have any of those amenities on site? They could easily go up into Fullerton. They could go somewhere else in Anaheim. They could buy warehouse space, a dime on the dollar for what it costs them at Disneyland at night semis bring things in bring things out whatever needs to get worked on goes on but i really truly believe that we're gonna see disneyland maximize that plot of land and there's also other land that they own in the area i mean there are such clever ways like when you're in downtown disney my wife for years had no idea when you're in downtown disney that you're walking over a road that bridge the way that the land is graded is so seamless the way that they have the plant life there like a lot of people don't think about the fact that you're walking over Disneyland Way or Disney Way, whatever it's called. Um, so I I don't think that they'll ever build like a second attraction and I don't think that they'll build like something where Angel Stadium is and, and put you on a bus and drive you to the next park. I feel like it will all be accessible from that area um, and that there's a lot, a lot of space there. And ultimately... It should only get so big. It's never going to be Disney World. Disney World is a whole different fan. It's a whole different experience. Um, this is a park in California designed for Californians and people of that mindset. So if you really look at the map and think about removing all the things that we don't go to, like the office buildings and all those various things, why put that adjacent to Disneyland? You can't take guests and put them someplace else. But you can take employees, and you can take services, and you can put those off-site. I think that's the way that it'll all come together. Dark Knight says, what canceled or abandoned attraction would you like to see come back to life? Sky Buckets. I would love Sky Buckets. Now, I know that doesn't make sense with me saying tear down Tomorrowland, but this is a silly question, and it deserves a silly answer. Sky Buckets would be so sweet. I would love to be able to see it like a bird, see it all from above. I would love some sky buckets. Amanda K says, they made movies for pirates and Haunted Mansion. What would your version of a pal around movie be? Okay, it's very easy. I've actually been working on the script for years. So they make a Pixar film, right? And it's kind of like, you remember Wacky Racers from uh, the 70s where they would take all the Hanna-Barbera characters and they'd put them together. So basically, it's kind of like a Pixar celebrational film. So we have all the different Pixar pals, right? And it all starts with a Toy Story scene because Toy Story is really where Pixar started. So the Toy Story gang, once again, Andy dropped a box, Andy's kid went over there, you know, the whole scenario, we got to get the gang back together. So the Toy Story crew is trying to get their gang back together. But in the process, they start encountering other different characters from other Pixar properties, right? So the gang's getting thick, it's getting big, and it's kind of like this cannonball run, like you know they're they're trying to get someplace. But what are they trying to get to? They're trying to get to Mickey Mouse. Why are they trying to get to Mickey Mouse? Because they've become aware that Mickey Mouse is in some sort of peril, some sort of danger. Now, everybody, I'm sure all these characters are aware of who Mickey is. So on this adventure of trying to go from the thrift store to Andy's son, because now Andy's a man. So now it's dan's toys on this adventure they're encountering all their other pixar buds and ultimately where they're trying to go is they heard that mickey mouse is in some sort of peril so as all of these pals go around they essentially need to find mickey mouse before this bad thing happens to them which happens at sunset so therefore, when you stand in front of the Mickey Will, you see all of his buds that went to his rescue. And you see Mickey smiling in front of the sun, which reminds you of the scene where they got to him right before the bad thing happened. Pixar, pal around in theaters 2025. There you go. What are some of the small details and designs that you've seen in Disneyland that really takes the experience to the extra mile to me it's main street usa the design of main street usa is flawless it is the most perfect land in disneyland it has required the least amount of editing i think that main street usa is so perfect it is so rich with history that it really is a shiny um symbol of what all disney parks are should aspire to be so the small details of main street whether it's the brick pattern wall the red and white light bulb the smell that they pump out the the way that the forced perspective works coming and going how they used america as its ip just the entire thing is design perfection so it really set up the, the, the perfect template on how to transform people emotionally into a place of happiness. Happiest place on earth happens because when you go into Main Street, it feels like the safest hug from society that you ever got. When you get to the hub, you feel so calm and so protected and you know that you're at Disneyland that you're ready to choose your own different choice of adventure. But Main Street USA reinforces all of those decisions, all of that adventure, because you've already had that calming wave come over a view of, hey, hey, friend, you're at Disneyland. This is a safe spot. This is the best version of society. People here are friendlier. Things smell better here. Things sound better here. Things taste better here. Enjoy your stay. We'll see you at the end of the night when you're ready to call it quits. Unless you're a big monorail guy. Megan says, designing within limitations is what makes it better. Absolutely. The fact that Disneyland sits on a small plot of land and everything has to be designed within these restrictions is why it is the superior park experience. It's weird. Disneyland, the easy way to remember Disneyland, land has LA inside of it. The way that you remember Disney World, world has ORL inside of it. Orlando But in many ways Orlando Is more like California In that Orlando Is big It's spread out Everything's far apart It's very much Like Living in LA Southern California But Disneyland Is way more like the East Coast Disneyland is way more like New York City Than it is Los Angeles In that It's incredibly small It has hard barriers All around it And Every little bit that you walk through, landmark, special memory, important piece. Disneyland is so like New York City and that its complexity is what makes it perfect. They would never build a park in a lot of land this small again. Therefore, Disneyland will truly always be a, a one in a million because nobody would ever do this insane challenge again of building something this epic in such a small plot of land. Atomic Child says, Main Street, USA is a museum of America that you can't live in. And I firmly believe that is a genius, genius statement, sir. Right. One last one here. Cappuccino says, I'm about to finish my BFA. And as a fellow creative, what advice would you give your younger self if you could go back into time? Buy Apple stock? Buy Tesla stock? Um, what advice would I give myself if I go back into time? I would prioritize working for myself way more. I know opening up a new document is incredibly intimidating. I know that it's so much easier to do projects that people assign you because a lot of the thought process has already been done. But true creative happiness, true creative exploration comes For the most important thing you can do as a designer, that's when you choose to hire yourself. So I would strongly, strongly recommend, often and early, learn how to hire yourself. Learn how to create self-initiated projects. Learn how to do what you want to do. And learn what it is that you want to do. I think a lot of us are so goal-focused on get the diploma, get the job, They give you the project and and true creative satisfaction comes from when you decide to make your own stuff. And I think that that is literally the path that I would encourage anybody to go down to. It's okay to take a job. It's okay to work for others. It's great to have clients. You need all that stuff to make money, but you have to find that lane in your life where you make things for you because ultimately that will inform you how to be better at your job, and that will create the work that will inform other people on what you should be hired for versus being handcuffed to the jobs and the clients that, that you do have. There you go, friends. Our first ever Disneyland for Designers Ask Mark Anything I hope you enjoyed this different kind of episode. I hope that it maybe answered some questions that you had about me. I hope that having this moment to just give you my perspectives on different parts of the park that you like, where I see it going, where I see it growing, I hope you found it interesting. I'm just trying to, every week, provide a new way to feel like you got a little bit of Disney magic and not be too repetitive, mix it up so that we feel like we're always going to the park, learning something new, seeing something new feeling something new and I am very very pleased to see how this is really growing as a community of folks deciding to go weekly when Disneyland couldn't open up its gates. It was by far the smartest thing I've ever done because I'm realizing there's so many other people like me, like you, that are missing the park and this community of getting together and and keeping the park alive with our love of Disneyland It has been very special to be a part of this. And I can't thank everyone enough who showed up last Friday for my 18-hour epic live stream where we recreated, we truly recreated an entire day of Disneyland. And it wasn't just walking around the park virtually or riding the rides. It was the community. It was the friendship. It was the fun that we all shared together. That's why I was so excited to announce that on the 13th of every month, you can now go to Disneyland with me in one format or another. That will all evolve as time evolves. Friends, thank you so much for joining me with another Wednesday out at Disneyland. I hope you had a good time. And and I'm serious. If you need a little bit of a a pick-me-up, if you want to put things in perspective, go over to my YouTube channel and please watch the story of Mickey Mouse Park. I love you like Disneyland. I'm very proud of this little short vlog movie that I made. And uh, I think it'll get you feeling in a good spot. Till the next time we meet. Live the magic every day.